0: It's almost New Year. And whether or not you go in for New Year's resolutions, the New Year is a good time to reflect and take stock. It's a good time to reset our priorities. A few years ago, I came across this quote. I'm not sure of the source, but it's just the kind of inspiration we need for a New Year. It says Are you tired? Brace yourself. Have you wearied? strengthen yourself. Have you forgotten? Remember, the revolution is not yet over. But as good as those words are, this evening we can go one better. As we stand on the doorstep of a new year, we can listen together to God's words. And our passage this evening is perfect for resetting our priorities before the new year. So turn with me, please, to Philippians chapter 3. In the Church Bible, that's page 1180. And in the large print, 1826. Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to pick up this evening at verse 12. Before Christmas, Steve took us through chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. In that passage, Paul was concerned to combat the idea that we can earn our way into God's good books. Paul said in that passage, we put no confidence in ourselves, not in our own achievements. We boast only in Christ Jesus. We put all of our confidence in him. He's the one who puts us in the right with God. It's his sacrifice that pays for our sin. It's his goodness that makes us good. It's his power that will get us to heaven. It's by being in Christ, Paul said, that we'll be part of the resurrection from the dead. Now, having said all that, Paul knows the danger in what he has just said. He said it boldly because it's true. It's the good news. But he knows how easily it could be misunderstood. Because if we cannot earn our way, if it's all Christ's work, then we might wonder, can we just tread water until we meet Christ? Can we just float through life knowing that he'll sort everything out for us? Can we just let go and let God, as someone has said? In fact, can we start putting our focus on other ambitions and goals, since Jesus has got eternity all sorted for us? Those are the questions Paul is going to answer in our passage. Having said very clearly that our confidence is in Christ alone, that it's Christ's power that will raise us from the dead, now, Paul says in verse 12... Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is God's word. So having assured these believers their confidence for the future is all based on Christ, Paul immediately follows that up by saying, press on. Do not treat this life as something you can coast through. When we go to visit Megan's parents, one of the things we like to do is to go tubing. We drive to the bottom of the Itchatuckney River, then we get a bus to the top of the river, we hire rubber rings, and we float slowly back down to the bottom. I'm not sure how long it takes, maybe an hour. Maybe we can all just imagine that for a moment. Floating down a river in the warm sunshine. With no effort at all, the river takes you where you want to go. The only thing left for you to worry about is whether you put on enough sun cream. And sometimes we can start to think the Christian life is a bit like that. Especially when everything seems to be going well for us when there are no storms on the horizon of our lives and we don't have any serious worries, we can get complacent. We might not be indulging in any particular sin. We might not be going off the rails in any noticeable way. But we just get spiritually drowsy. We begin to just float along. Assuming God is going to carry us where we need to go. Well, what Paul does here is the equivalent of tipping us out of our rubber tube into the cold water. He says to the Philippians and to us, wake up. You've got to press on. And Paul points to his own example. Look again how he puts it in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul's point is, Christ has taken hold of you for a purpose. He did not save you so you could float through life. He saved you so you could increasingly know him and be like him. So you could be pressing towards the day when you know him fully and are fully like him. In the last couple of years, Mo Farah has won some amazing races in the 5,000 and 10,000 meters. But for all of his talent and for all of his conditioning and training, he did not win those races easily. He had to strain every muscle. If you watched any of those races, you could see the exertion on his face, the pain actually. That's the kind of language Paul is using here. Pressing on takes strenuous effort from us. And again, Paul is not talking about effort to gain our salvation. We gain our salvation when we look to Christ. And he takes hold of us He claims us as his own. And then, after he has claimed us as his own, then the race begins for us. Christ takes hold of us so we can run this race. This race is only for those who are saved by God's grace. But he didn't save us so we could sit and snooze at the side of the track. He took hold of us so we could win the prize he has prepared for us. And notice the way Paul goes about this pressing on. In verse 13 he says, his approach is to forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. Paul is telling us, put your focus on the future prize, not on the failures or successes of the past. Some of you tonight might be living in the shadow of some failure from your past. Some sin you committed months or years ago. Some stupid decision that you made. But if you have brought that to God, if you've asked for his forgiveness, if you have done what you could to make it right with other people, then it's time to stop dwelling on it. It's time to let it go. Jesus has paid for it. God the Father has forgotten it. Don't opt out of this race because you fell over in the past. Get up and keep going. It is right that we feel ashamed over our sin. It's right that we come to God in repentance and sorrow over our sin. But once that has happened, then it is not right for us to live as if that sin has crippled us. At a certain point, we have to accept that God's grace is wide enough. His forgiveness is deep enough to cover our sin. We have to accept his grace and press on, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Of course, it's equally possible some of us here tonight are resting on our laurels. Maybe we can look back to times when we studied the Bible seriously, when we devoted ourselves to prayer. And years later, we're still trying to live off the fumes of those past times. But it doesn't work that way. Running the first band of a race well, or running the first 20 laps well, that's great. But the race ends at the finish line. So let's ask ourselves... How have I got to know Christ better this past year? What have I been learning from God's word this last week? What new area of obedience am I working on in my life? Let's not go around congratulating ourselves because we ran the first band well. Let's get back in the race. Let's get back to straining towards what is ahead. Think about Paul. By this point in his life, Paul has evangelized most of Europe. He's written a chunk of the New Testament. Those are big achievements. But Paul is still pressing on, he is not strolling around like he's arrived. Paul is interested in what's ahead. And what is ahead? What's the prize Paul is pressing towards? Well, we've already touched on it, but look again at verse 14. Paul says in verse 14 that God has called him heavenwards. I take that to be a way of saying God has saved me. He sought me out and he called me to himself through the gospel. He has called me heavenwards, Paul says, and so the prize is there for me to claim. It's mine to claim, and I'm pressing towards it. And in the context here, I think the prize Paul is talking about is knowing Christ fully. He said earlier, that is what is of surpassing worth to him. That's the prize he lives for. So, for Paul, God's salvation is not just a ticket to heaven. It's not just a get out of hell free card. For Paul, God's salvation is a calling. It's a calling to press towards perfect knowledge of Christ. And he says in verse 15 this must be the goal of every Christian all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. As Paul corresponded by letter with the various churches and as he traveled around the various churches, he came into contact with plenty of people who thought they were mature. But they weren't. Some of them thought they were so mature they could earn heaven by their own merit. He mentions them in his letters. Others thought maturity meant you could do whatever you wanted because Christ had taken care of heaven for you. He mentions those people in his letters. But here Paul says, Let me tell you what true maturity is it's knowing that Christ has taken hold of you for a purpose. And it's then pressing on to fulfill that purpose. Pressing on to win the prize he has for you. Paul says that's how a mature Christian approaches life. They know they can't earn their way to heaven. And they also know God has not saved them so they can try and float to heaven. He saved us so we can press on towards our prize. And then Paul says, if this understanding hasn't quite clicked into place for you, if you haven't quite grasped that yet, that's okay. God will make it clear to you. Only, he says, verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. We could translate that, let us keep in step with what we have attained. Or let us hold true to what we have attained. In other words, Paul is saying, maybe you don't feel this motivation to press on and strain towards what's ahead. Maybe you feel like a spiritual couch potato. The desire just isn't there. And I think what Paul is saying is, if that's how you feel, don't just shake your head and say, well, it's not for me. Don't opt out of the race. Instead, focus on the truths you are convinced of. The truth that once you were dead in your sin, but you've been made alive in Christ. You're a new person. By God's grace, you're headed for heaven. Focus on those realities and focus on living a life that holds true to those realities. That keeps in step with those truths. Don't focus on trying to psych yourself up to be a super Christian. Some of us are like that. Every so often, we make fantastic spiritual resolutions for ourselves. And we set off like Mo Farah. And maybe we keep it up for about two weeks, or maybe even two days. And then we just revert back to normality. But Paul says it doesn't have to be like that. Don't worry about trying to go from a spiritual couch potato to spiritual Mo Farah overnight. Just focus on what you know about God's grace to you in Christ. What He's saved you from. All those broken lives that you see all around you. That could have been you. But God came and found you. He lifted you out of that. He set your feet on a rock. And he has a future prepared for you. A future where you'll you'll finally experience perfect joy and peace and fulfillment. Paul says, let those realities work their way into you. And you will find yourself pressing on. You will find yourself straining towards what's ahead. You'll find yourself living with the prize in mind. Knowing Christ fully and being like him. You'll find yourself throwing off those sins and distractions that hold you back. And slow you down and distract you. Because the more we focus on the prize that's ahead of us, the more appealing it becomes to us. And the more unappealing sin and distractions become. Paul adds something else. He says, Follow those who are aiming for the same prize. Verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Some of you have read The Hobbit, and it's also in the cinemas at the moment. The story is about a group of people aiming for the same thing, to kill the dragon so they can take back the mountain and the treasure and the kingdom. And at various points along the way, some of them get distracted. They get waylaid. They get discouraged. Sometimes they get at a loss about what to do next. But because they're together, and because their minds are all set on the same thing, they help each other along. And that is similar to what Paul has in mind here. He says, follow my example And follow the example of those who live like me. Well, is that because Paul thinks he's great? Does he think that he's arrived? Not at all. He made that clear in verse 12. He has absolutely not arrived. But he has his eyes on the goal. And he's pressing towards the goal. That's why the Philippians are to keep their eyes on him. He's saying to these Philippians, you have to surround yourselves with people who are heading to the same place. You have to follow people who have the same goal in mind. And if we stop and think about that, we realize we need to avoid following those who have a different goal. Paul explains that in verse 18. For, as I have often told you before... And I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. The Philippians are not to surround themselves with those kind of people. Because their goals and their destinies are different. They're headed for destruction. Their goals are tied to things on this earth. It makes no sense for God's people to follow them. And the Bible really hammers this point. Elsewhere, Paul says, bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. If we surround ourselves with people who are headed for destruction, if we follow those who are pressing towards some prize other than the prize of knowing Christ fully, where are we going to end up? If our companions and our role models are glorying in things they should be ashamed of, how is that going to help us in any conceivable way? Now, this raises a very obvious question. What about evangelism? Surely we're not saying we should separate ourselves from non-believers. Isn't that heartless? Didn't Jesus spend time with sinners? In fact, didn't he spend his time with pretty notorious sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes? How can we win people if we don't spend time with them? Those are very good questions. And I think the way to look at this is to ask, who are my people? Who do I feel most at home with? Which community of people feel like family to me? Of course, it's right that we spend time with non-believers. Paul did that. But there was never any doubt his family, the group that he truly belonged with, was God's people. Some people who call themselves Christians spend almost all their time with non-Christians. And the reason is, really, they feel more at home with non-Christians. They don't feel comfortable around Christians. That's what Paul is warning about here. If we feel more at home among people who are headed for destruction, people whose mind is set on earthly things, then something is badly wrong. Yes, out of love and concern, we should reach out to those who are lost. But we should never really feel at home among those who are lost. If we do, we're in a dangerous place. And we need to start spending a whole lot more time with those who are pressing towards heaven. We need to keep our eyes on those kind of people. And it's true, Jesus did spend lots of time with notorious sinners. But what did he say about them? He said, they're sick, they need a doctor. Jesus saw himself as a doctor among sick people. He saw himself as a shepherd among lost sheep. And that didn't mean that he was condescending or patronizing. But it did mean that when he was with tax collectors, he was not just one of the lads. When he was among prostitutes, he was not hanging out with his girlfriends. He was reaching out to the sick. And who did Jesus consider to be his family? Who did he feel that he belonged with? Well, this is what he said. My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Jesus said, my family are those who are pressing on in obedience to God. And it's got to be the same with us. This is a pretty easy thing for us to take stock of. Just ask yourself who do I feel most at home with? In what environment do I feel like I can just be myself? Is it among people whose minds are set on earthly things? whose lives are dictated by their physical urges and appetites? Are those the people who feel like family to me? People who actually are enemies of the cross of Christ? Or am I most at home with people who are pressing towards the goal of knowing Christ fully? If we answer that question honestly, then we can go on to ask, do I need to reorder some things in my life? Do I need to make some hard decisions about who my companions are? Do I need to get refocused on the goal for which Christ Jesus took hold of me? That's what Paul helps us to do in the last couple of verses. He says in verses 20 and 21, Look forward. Our King is coming, and we will be like him. He says in verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, Will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the prize. This is the goal we are straining towards. This is where we belong. Yes, we live in this place, but Paul says our citizenship is in that place. And this would have made perfect sense to the Philippians. The city of Philippi was on Greek soil, but it belonged to Rome. The citizens of Philippi were Roman citizens. The city was governed by Roman law. The people in Philippi lived as if they were on Italian soil. And Paul's point is, it's the same for Christians. We live on this earth, but we belong in the new heaven and earth. Let's live in the light of that. Let's live our lives pressing toward that. The new year is a perfect time for us to re-examine and reset our priorities. It's a perfect time to refocus our eyes on the eternal prize that's ahead of us. And our next song encourages us to press on in God's power. And then we'll close with a song that reminds us just what is ahead for us. We'll sing, soldiers of Christ arise and then there is a day.